Welcome to Rethink Reality, a podcast for creatives to learn, adapt, and future-proof themselves for the XR revolution. Tech guru Don Allen III has conversations with innovative players in the AR, VR, and XR space. Develop your knowledge with expert advice and get ready to rethink reality. All right, hello everybody. I want to introduce you to our guest, Caitlin Lomax. She's an XR producer and developer of digital experiences. Started developing games at age 13, spent her early career as a globally renowned fashion model, and has uh, always been programming and developing those skills behind the scenes. Uh, Caitlin, our guest today, is a creative powerhouse and technical <laughs> expert and brings her skills to all of her work. She's presented at SIGGRAPH, at Asia's Real Time Live. She's in the business of web development, electronic projects, and Arduino art. So Caitlin, welcome to Rethink Reality. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so excited. Yeah, well, it's a pleasure to have you. First off, you're an XR producer. What does that even mean? So I look after projects that um, have augmented or virtual reality mainly, but uh, in my eyes, like XR also covers when you're interacting with the digital world. So to me, even Arduino products are XR because your physical world is interacting with the digital world. I look after anything interactive pretty much. (laughs) Amazing. So you say you're a developer of digital experiences. So developer in what languages? What are we talking about here? My main thing's a web developer, but I also do Java. I know a bit of C Sharp from Unity. I'm learning all the time. That's why I kind of like to put myself in a producer thing first, because I don't like to go out there and be like, oh, I'm a developer, because I would never get a job as a developer, because I'm usually only using my developer skills to get my producing jobs, um, or you know, learning it to be able to direct my developers for the projects, and it's a lot easier to do that if I can talk to them in a language they understand. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> From what it appears from my research I did on you, your titles have changed quite a bit. So you've been a you've been a fashion model and later went into freelancing for mixed reality experiences. So can you just tell me a little bit about your transition and For sure. So crazy. My life's completely changed now. Um I used to base myself between New York and Paris and I was working for people like Chanel, Prada, Louis Vuitton. Um, Mimi. And then while this was all happening, like I think it's a bit different now, but we weren't really allowed to like tell people that we had any other interests in fashion. So I was still studying IT and my agency were like, stop like making apps on jobs. The clients don't like it. (laughs) And then I had something happen to me in 2015 where I just kind of had a like epiphany where I was like, what am I doing? This isn't making me happy. I want to, I want to make stuff. I want to develop cool things. Um, so then I completely stopped modeling and weirdly, I never actually finished my IT degree because I got a job as a tech lead um, doing cashless payment systems at festivals. And that was quite fun, but I was like, mm, maybe this isn't what I want to do. Like I want to do more fun stuff. Um, so I started studying uh, VFX actually, like Houdini. And that's when I was like, I was working on a project, which was a big pink fluffy chandelier where the lights reacted when you 
um, walked under it, it flickered to a breathing soundtrack we had in it. And when that was being shown at a show, there was some guy that had a Gear VR headset outside and a 360 camera inside. And I was like, that's not art, that's a camera. (laughs) I can make cooler stuff than that. Let's make some cool stuff together. And yeah, and then that's when I started just playing with more XR stuff and started going like, yeah, augmenting everything, chucking everything into a headset, viewing the world in like 3D worlds in headsets just like blew my mind. That's so cool. So um, what kind of headsets do you like to you know work in right now? Oculus Quest, I think, is definitely the one that is the most preferable, untethered, good price point. It's really easy to use. I use HTC Vive a lot because it's also super handy for all the virtual production stuff as well. Have you heard of any of the announcements of the um, the new the new Oculus Quest that's coming out that was leaked? Did you see any of that stuff? Yeah, I did. I hope it's true. I think that'd be awesome. But I mean, also, how crazy is it that the technology is just changing that fast? I think they only got announced a year and a half ago, I think. A year and a half, I two years know. ago. It's like <laughs> there. We got it in our hands, we're playing with it, and then like a leak like this comes out. The leak happened where someone released some images of a model of the Oculus Quest, an alleged one that's gonna come out in the future. And it's got the internet talking, XR community's going crazy. So you said you hope it comes true. Yeah, I do. Cause I think, if you think about every console ever, the first one of each series, like PlayStation 2, PlayStation 3, there's always that one that comes out like in the middle that's like slightly better. And I think that this will be, <laughs> the equivalent in headsets <laughs> got it yes yeah you think it's gonna be a slight like slightly better you don't think it's gonna be like a paradigm shift here no nah, i don't think it'll be like oculus quest 2 or something i think it'll just be like marginally better because i do think that you know the amount of take up that people that oculus had with the quest i feel like they'd be really um alienating those people from buying another one if they did release something like completely life-changing that soon after yeah Yeah. people be like wait a second i just put my money towards this and you're gonna just drop the best thing ever like the best thing ever right afterwards exactly like it's not like a phone where everyone uses their phone every day and they can kind of warrant spending a decent chunk of money every year or if they want to get the latest but right I, I don't think the headsets are quite there yet maybe one day i hope that the metaverse is like a thing and we all live in headsets <laughs> not yet <laughs> i'm with you on that one i'm like big fan of ready player one the idea of just kind of the shared world that we can all participate in work in yeah. play in we're, we're making pretty big steps towards that every day Totally. I reckon you'd make some pretty cool worlds to be in. Have you seen um, the Facebook Horizons thing that, that keeps getting mentioned but isn't out yet? I've been on the wait list to be in their uh, their pre-release of it. Oh. It exists right now. And uh, a friend of mine at Google was working in it and he's playing it and I'm like, dude, tell me everything. <laughs> You have to be in the group. I'm like, no, let me, let me know. I want to know. You want to describe a little bit of what is Facebook Horizon um, from what the, you know, for folks that don't know? Yeah, for sure. Think of like a chat room, but in 3D where you can customize everything. I think there is also already things out there like that, like VR chat and stuff. You can make your own worlds and your own avatars and stuff like this, but this will be Facebook. So you've already got your, your friends list. You've already got all of your social contacts and everything all connected up like the amount of things you'll be able to pull from that the amount of people that you'll be able to connect with on that is just going to be mind-blowing um but yes definitely the fact that you can create your own stuff uh is the coolest 
thing about it. I'll definitely come visit you in your world that you make, Don. <laughs> I'd be delighted. And speaking of avatars, I was researching your Instagram and saw that you made an avatar for your VR chat a little while ago. <laughs> um, do you still use that avatar when you go into VR chat? I haven't actually had a chance to use it since I made it yet. I was just sitting there ready to be used. <laughs> <laughs> I got so excited. I spent way too much money on it. I don't think I spend that much money on normal clothes, let alone an avatar's clothes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe some folks are new to this and they don't know what VR chat is. So just briefly, I'll, it's a it's a it's a virtual chat room. People can jump in from the internet. They have some folks wearing headsets. Some people can do it from a computer. Other folks can wear like a full body tracking suit. And it's a little wild and a little crazy and really fun. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> so did you make your avatar? I bought all the bits for it through a thing. What is it called? It's a company that literally just sells avatar clothing and makeup. But I was like, that is the future. That is actually where it's at. It really is. I mean, I don't think people are connecting this dot yet enough. People spend millions of dollars on clothing and props on Fortnite every day. Yeah, exactly. It's wild. It's a whole nother economy online. Um, I think a lot of people think blockchain when you start talking about economies online, but this is different because everything is has its own little economy. You can't really take Fortnite money and put it in VR chat, for example. So it's like almost every little world has its own value. It's really cool to think of it like that. Yeah, and it's, and it's definitely, I mean, we're definitely at the very early stages of this. There's so many different virtual game currencies. You know, they replace real dollars. So someone spends 20 US dollars and then it becomes a certain amount of V-Bucks on uh, Fortnite. And then someone will use V-Bucks to purchase virtual skins and avatars that they can play with online. Yeah, exactly. I actually, I think back to like my high school days and I was totally addicted to Habotel. And I definitely spent all of my phone credit back when you had to recharge your phones for any credit and pimping out my hotel room. <laughs> oh, wow. This was, um, you said, in for Sims? No, this was um, in Habbo Hotel, which was like uh, these little pixelated characters in a hotel. <laughs> I mean, it's really cool, the idea of being able to build a world that other people can experience and enjoy. I don't blame anyone for wanting to make a cool avatar and make a cool world in it. Exactly. And it's cool what people come up with in it. Like, um, I'll use an example from Habbo Hotel, but I think like that was just the beginning of it. And now with the freedom to create that we all have now in all these worlds like the possibilities are endless but one that I'm thinking about and how I tell is someone created a game called Falling Fernie and it was just you put down it was like musical chairs pretty much like they put down a chair the people are onto it. The person that isn't on a chair at the end of it either pays to play or gets kicked out of the room. Me and my sister used to make shitloads of money off it. <laughs> we used to like get people to pay to play all the time. So we would like we created this empire, this like falling fernie empire. So yeah, it's just like thinking of really interesting ways that people are going to see what they can make with what they have now. And that's the sort of stuff we could make back then with little pixelated characters in a hotel room. And now you can make full-on worlds you can do like custom scripts and stuff in a lot of the things to make things react how you want them to react you can you know, put door charges on to get to certain areas there's just so many cool things you can do yes and i i did i found out that you have a pretty awesome opinion about gamification I was wondering if you could talk on what is gamification and see if um why do you think it matters for creatives to be aware of gamification 
Oh, for sure. It's just like gamification is keeping people invested in your experience. So things as simple as leaderboards, it's everyone's natural instinct to want to be the best at things. So putting a leaderboard on keeps people going back. It kind of gives it this reusability. John Legend had his VR live stream uh, a couple months ago. I don't know if you saw that. You probably did. Wave. <laughs> um, Wave. Yeah, yeah. So they had things where if you donated money, things would happen in the live stream. Like a comet would fly over with your name on it or like it would show you blowing a kiss to John or something like that. And more people are more willing to donate money because all of a sudden they have this like instant gratification for it. Absolutely incredible. I didn't know that they had that kind of interaction there. <laughs> right. And that's like not actually a really hard thing to implement. It's quite a simple thing that takes something from like a very linear experience to a very interactive experience. It's just something simple like that. When I talk to businesses about gamification, they see it as like, oh, we have to build Fortnite. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> not, not that far. <laughs> but like, you know, like just put something in there where people want to come back and like either be better at it or they want to get gratification or gamification, you get retention. And as a creator, there's so many creators out there. What keeps people coming back to you? Like why would someone watch your stream over someone else's stream or something like that? Not, not that live streams are exactly a gamification thing, but you, for example, I know I like jumping onto your live streams because you're so interactive with the people that are on there and you're making your stuff. And it's that interactivity that's so important. I, I love when folks have like feedback, you know, in real time and someone makes a call and they're like, you know what? I don't like that you used that color for that character product. <laughs> And then I look and I'm like, you're right. I don't know what I was thinking. I'm going to change it right now. And then their satisfaction like increases so much because all of a sudden their opinions mattered enough that it's going to happen now. We're going to make that change on the fly because you spoke. And, exactly. And those people it. tend to come back. <laughs> I'm going to be heard here. You know, if I have something to say, this person's going to respond to it and, and actually listen to it. And especially when someone like you that they look up to goes like, hey, yeah, you're right. That, like you said, it gives them confidence. You go, oh, okay. I, I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I see you do a lot of motion capture work with a Rokoku suit. And, I do. Uh, and so I wanted to know how do you use motion motion capture for your work in XR? People are reluctant to spend a, a bunch of money on creating VR experiences as it is and doing character animations, like custom character animations get super expensive. But at least with the Rococo suit, we can get it in there really quickly, show them what it's like, and they can decide if they want to spend the extra money to like clean it up and stuff um, because it's so simple. Like, you know, it's so easy to jump in the Rococo suit, walk around, chuck it in your scene, and bam, <laughs> that's yeah. that. Especially because it... Um, it does export for like Mixamo rigs and so many people that are making, uh, sorry, the VR experiences and AR experiences are on Unity or Unreal. And it's literally just drag and drop straight onto the character. It's so easy. <laughs> Bring motion capture in Unreal. I ask because I'm a little like, uh, I'm about to try this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Unreal is I haven't <laughs> haven't done it myself on Unreal yet. Um, but on Unity, it's legit drag and drop. Okay. Um, Unreal, I believe, is a little bit more difficult, but I'm actually tuning into their workshop on animation and the sequencer in an hour, so maybe I'll let you know after that how easy it is. <laughs> yeah, so maybe tell me a little bit in Unity, when you have motion capture data that you've recorded with this smart suit and you have that on, what are you doing to get that character in Unity to come to life? Pretty much all I do is run the character through Mixamo if it doesn't already have a rig, set it to a humanoid rig in Unity, pull in all my motion capture and then put it into the animation controller. Like that's literally how easy it is. I'm not even exaggerating. The other thing I want to play around a bit more is the face capture stuff. I do have the Rococo face capture thing, but I just haven't had a chance. I mean, actually, this is quite relevant because you were doing some of this as well. <laughs> um, getting characters ready with AR kit blend shape. Yeah, that was a learning curve. How did you go with that? Yeah, I mean, for me, I'm still learning. But right now, I found the pose morph tool in Cinema 4D can be exported out as blend shapes. And so essentially, if I just make all the blend shapes that ARKit likes to see, then essentially a, a rig that I make can be run in real time on the um, iPhones, with iOS, with ARKit. All it needs really is the blend shapes to be made and they have to match the same naming conventions and the same structure and shapes as the ones that they want. It might be kind of like a plug and play at that at that point if you do those two steps prior. Yes, yeah, sweet. That's cool. That's my theory. I haven't tried the AR kit part of it. Um, the uh, I guess what I've been using actually was um, Maxon just released an app called Move, uh, Moves by Maxon um, okay. for iPhone. And it's letting you do two pretty insane things that are pretty awesome that I didn't expect would come out of their company. Um, you can do full body motion tracking, motion tracking, like oh, skeletal, cool. skeletal tracking. And then the second one is full on face capture. And it's very detailed and very accurate. That's sick. And it's all on your phone. And then you sync it up with a QR code that, that Cinema 4D creates on the screen. And then you're able to bring in your face animations and then link it to specific pose morphs so that you can drive a cartoony rig with your eyebrow raise of your real life footage that's really cool that sounds heaps like unreal's live link for the face capture stuff as well yes i Once, haven't used that have you touched that one at all i i've played with the sample project but i haven't like put a, my own character in it or anything but it's freaking amazing how realistic it cleanly it remaps onto the other character is so cool <laughs> i'm so excited to try that just hearing that right now i might have to do that right after this call <laughs> Cool. <laughs> yeah, that character is it the um the female character that they had for the um cave exploration demo? You can do it to that one. I haven't set that one up properly because I don't think that one comes already packaged to use Live Link. You have to still remap um her blend shapes, oh. and I think there's quite a lot of them. But there is like a little boy that you can do. Got it. So for those yeah. that are listening right now, what we're referring to is there's this really unfortunately manual process when you're putting <laughs> in your facial performance onto a character that I was very surprised to learn. I don't know any fast way around it. You have to go manually one by one for every kind of face that you make to match it to the data that comes out. And you can't do like a select all and auto sync. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever comes out with that plugin is going to make heaps of money. <laughs> Pay them anything they need. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Such a tedious process. It um, really is. 
so um, thank you so much. I love I love all your responses. It's really it's really cool hearing from an actual technician, an actual creative in this space because you can speak to you know the the, the fundamental nature of these technologies that we're using to create. So with Thanks. that being said, <laughs> that being said um, I, I saw that you gave a presentation and you had this really cool slide about explaining the differences between AR, VR, and XR. And I would love if you could just mention a thing or two to help folks that are maybe new to this space. And they're like, I don't know, what is this all? What, what's the difference of these things? How can, how can someone know the difference between AR, VR, and XR? Yeah, for sure. So, a, sorry, let's start with VR. VR's virtual reality. Um, it's when you are in a completely simulated environment. That's when all the headsets come in, like the Oculus Quest and the Rift and Vive, etc. Um, and then you've got AR, which is augmented reality. That's when you're layering your digital world with your real world. Um, that's kind of where I touched on where I think, you know, we can really say that our whole lives are augmented at the moment. I mean, using a filter on Instagram is augmenting your your world. It's very cool, your reality. Um, and then you've got XR, which is extended reality, which kind of just umbrellas everything really because um, I know a lot of people don't consider 360 video to be VR, for example, but it is. It's extending your reality. It also covers like wearables and stuff like that. So like, you know, the uh, Apple Watch, for example, or Fitbits, they take your um, all your measurements and yeah, like there's – it's so our worlds are already so augmented as it is. I think XR just kind of makes it a more like open term, so people don't get too like scared of it. I guess. <laughs> Speaking of um, scared terms, what do you think of mixed reality as a term that's thrown in there a lot today? Yeah, I reckon mixed reality and um, XR can almost be interchangeable. I kind of when I do think of mixed reality, though, I definitely tend to think more of augmented reality. Because VR is just completely simulated, so it doesn't really fall under it. But I know a lot of people do talk about mixed reality as an umbrella for everything as well. Do you think that we'll ever have a day where we have a device that seamlessly goes between AR and VR for all of our XR experiences? Oh, God, I hope so. I really, I'm hoping that that's what the Quest 2 is. (laughs) Oh, Like, it's crazy because the, you know, it's already got inside out tracking, which means the camera's already there. Um, you know, when you walk through a space on the Oculus Quest and it's outside of your safe zone, the cameras turn on. They're not great quality, but they do turn on. So it's like, oh, it's so close to being there. Why isn't it there yet? <laughs> <laughs> I know. It kills me because it's like you got the black and white quality, low res. I think it's like, what, 640p or something? Yeah, it's not great. <laughs> But it's like we know how high quality our phone cameras can get on a screen. And we know that that, that quality is like incredible. So if we put those two together, I think we'll be in a, a spot where hopefully we get one of those or both of those combined into a single device. <laughs> that would be sick. I'd be so stoked with that. <laughs> so on, on that note, um, what do you think about the future of XR? Like, what is, what do you think, like, maybe in the next five years, next two years, like, what is this future of XR that you see or predict a little bit? I think there's going to be, like, a massive take-up of it. 
um, especially with all this isolation stuff, I think when people get a chance to experience it and, you know, hardware's not sold out, um, they'll realize that you can actually form connections and get that human interaction in VR that we're all kind of probably lacking a little bit at the moment with this isolation stuff. Um, so I think it's, it's, such, it's, it's having its moment, I think, but it's just there's not enough hardware there to keep up with the demand. So once everyone kind of gets a go at it, I think it's going to really take off. It's going to start to be really mainstream. Once Horizon comes out, I think everyone's going to take that up. Mm. Augmented reality is already just like, it's so cool how many people are starting to learn more technical augmented reality from like starting making filters on Instagram and then going, hey, I actually really enjoy this. I can make some really cool stuff out of this. How can I push this further? How can I make this a, a job for myself? How can I do that? And I like, I love seeing that so much, um, that, that switch. And I think having those tools so openly available to everyone, people will become a lot more, you know, like we grew up with computers just, yeah, they're going to be like savvy to all this development stuff. It's not going to be completely new to them. Um, even like people using just the patch editor and Spark AR, they don't know that what they're actually doing is almost coding logic but not in code. So it's like I if they ever went... Yeah, right? Like I hated it because I couldn't remember all the syntax and yeah. I have chronic nerve pain. So I had only been like typing that much. I try to reduce it. So then they had this visual editor, this patch editor. And I'm like, this is this is friendly. Like right? okay, I have this control here and I want it to do this certain action. And it's all visual. And yet on the back end, it's taking care of all the, the messy syntax that I don't need to see as a creative. Exactly. You just worry about making stuff cool and Spark will do the rest in the back. It's sick. <laughs> yeah, it's such like a gateway to like the next things. Um, someone might go, oh, I want to create more visually cool stuff. Then if they go to Houdini and they want to do, you know, some Vex scripting, it's not completely out of their mind. They've kind of, they, they don't know it yet, but they already kind of know it. You know what I mean? They don't know what they don't know yet. Or they don't know what they do know yet. <laughs> I follow you. <laughs> so I'm actually pretty new to Houdini. Like I started teaching it at the studio with some classes. And um, so you you use Houdini a, a lot or a little or what's your experience with Houdini? I do use it. I just do fun stuff in it though. I don't ever professionally use it, but I love creating stuff in it for fun. Like I love playing with particles and I love, um, yeah, making fire effects and stuff like that but they're never <laughs> it's literally just for my own creative outlet it's not really like a work thing i really really wanted to put mocap into houdini just like purely just to create particle people and i have done it once with the help of my friend danny who retargeted the mocap for me back when i couldn't do it myself <laughs> um, but uh yeah like just making cool stuff and i think that's just so important for anyone just make cool stuff you don't necessarily have to do it for something or someone or for a job just keep making cool stuff keep learning things yes please i want people to keep learning keep growing keep experimenting being curious like, exactly but honestly like I, I i hear it sometimes in in the comments or in a direct message it turns into a self-esteem issue a lot of folks they they think that they're going to be judged for sharing their creativity even if it's like a work in progress they're scared that 
putting out their work is going to make bad experiences come to them. I mean, I see all your work. It's incredible. Um, you're not shy from showing your awesome work and your progress and, and, and people get to experience it and it's a joy. And so how do you have your esteem? How do you have such awesome self-esteem? <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I don't know. <laughs> it probably came a bit from modeling. Like I realized that um, the peers that I cared about their opinions, like they were just people as well. And I don't know, I, I don't feel scared to reach out to people and ask for their opinions and especially being open to um, constructive feedback. Like you said, with someone going, oh, different color, like being open to that really builds you creatively. I personally don't think I'm much of a creative person, but I like the way that my brain works to create new solutions for problems and, you know, better processes and stuff like that. Like I enjoy thinking about that stuff. So that's why I think I like sharing maybe the progress more than the final result. That's just me personally. But I do think that like people like to see the process because they like to see like, oh, that doesn't work quite that well. I'll try something else and it might inspire them to try something else and all they will see something that goes works really well and go, oh, I haven't thought of that. That's cool. And then they'll try that. I've yeah. seen a similar metric like that. I mean, in the past, I used to only show my final results and um, on Instagram and stuff. That's long past. And what would happen is people would be like, that's cool. And then, you know, be on their own merry way because it's like it wasn't adding too much value to their experience on the... Uh, exactly. <laughs> totally. Because they see lots of cool artwork out there and other people are doing way, way more impressive things. So the moment I started breaking it down saying, here's the exact tool I use. And here's where it's hidden in the menu and why you want to use it. Then all of a sudden the engagement like skyrocketed. It was suddenly like, wait, that's actually pretty cool. I could actually try this on my own project. And now the value is there. Exactly. And then also as well, they if they have questions, they almost know what to ask next. Because if they know what tool you're using, they're like, hey, how do I do that with that tool? Instead of message you and go, how do I use that tool? And you're like, oh God, there's a YouTube for this. Like, <laughs> you know, you can actually give them a proper answer and it's actually helpful is it rude that i oftentimes am their google search and i give them a straight up google answer is that weird <laughs> no i think it's good it's nice that it comes from you still <laughs> I think like I don't think it's a problem of like sharing the Google searches or the YouTube links or whatever. I don't think that's a problem at all. But it's like it's hard to keep up for you to actually like reply to them all. Oh my god! Actually, I think that's amazing how many people you actually get around to replying to. Like props to you. <laughs> Take advice from my grandpa. He's a dentist. He's been my dentist since I was a little one. He's the first Don. He's the Don Allen Stevenson, the first. Um, and, cool. he, and he says what, one thing that's made him a successful dentist is that he, sa he sends thank you cards to every single person that's been a customer to him all the time. He thanks them for their service. He thanks them for taking the time. He thanks them for you know, being his customer. And he tells me as an entrepreneur, he's like, you need to thank everybody who's taking any time out of their day to, to watch your stuff, to engage with you, because those people, you wouldn't be here without them, you know? And so you owe it to them they're taking their time then you gotta you have to put in your time and thank them exactly for being there because you know so many folks like they'll they might want like a super big following but they're not willing to be kind to the five people that are following them right now yeah 
totally it makes such a difference yeah it's important to be you know kind to people that are taking time but it does take a lot of time i was just happy when instagram allowed you to um create voice messages on the fly so helpful because i can talk much more clearly than i can actually write and that was great Um, that's cool i didn't know that it's cool a lot of folks that listen to this I think our, our creatives that are trying to get into the space, they want to be future-proof. They want to kind yeah. of think ahead. Is there any tools or technology, even if we've already discussed them, uh, that you think creatives should be focusing on to be future-proof? I think using some sort of game engine like Unreal or Unity. If you're more of a creative person, probably Unreal. Just because you can build anything in there. You can build games, like just standard games. You can build AR and VR. You can do virtual production in it. There's so many different avenues that you can take that. Unity is also awesome, but just personally, I'm leaning more towards Unreal at the moment. <laughs> I just want I just want to learn it all. Like this is what I was saying before. I've signed myself up for that two week course that they're doing at the moment to like just get my head around everything so I can move all my projects over to Unreal. Just trying everything, like give everything a go. You don't have to master everything, but having an idea of what is capable in each different software package so that when you're thinking of solutions to things, you can go, okay, I don't know how to do that yet, but I do know it does that. And then you can go down that rabbit hole of working out how to do it. I think that's the best way to future-proof yourself. Like just keep reading about stuff, keep listening to these podcasts, keep watching tutorials and how to do stuff. Even if I'm not actually watching it, a proper tutorial have it running on the tv while i'm doing some work just so I, my brain's just being fed with all this information all the time that's probably a little extreme for some people but i really like it <laughs> i'm also kind of like you in that sense so maybe i have a bias i'm constantly listening to stuff all yeah. the time <laughs> it's good it's kind of like cool that our brain can work and take it in subconsciously you know like i actually go to sleep listening to a lot of talks about quantum physics <laughs> oh God, that's so cool <laughs> and uh, i wake up knowing more and more stuff about quantum mechanics every day <laughs> and the fundamental forces that govern our world so <laughs> that's so funny i actually i i fell asleep to a unity tutorial on how to train your neural networks and stuff and uh, I think there's the one that I was listening to was like training a penguin to like an AI penguin to go get the fish and feed it to baby. And I was like, what is my life? <laughs> Amazing and awesome. And that's that's exactly why you're here today, because you're the kind of person who would do who would do that. You're going to. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to repeat this because for emphasis, this is incredible. Caitlin will fall asleep listening to a Unity video about training neural networks to make penguins feed and catch fish and feed it to their babies. Is that correct? <laughs> when you say it like that, it's so good. <laughs> that speaks volumes to your passion in the space. You know, because other folks aren't going to spend their free time or their sleep time learning. <laughs> <laughs> That would put you ahead. So that's that's your secret. That is my secret. And I actually, uh, yeah, that's the thing, right, is that people aren't willing to use their free time. <laughs> if they don't use their sleep time, I'll give them that. But their free time to, like, upskill themselves. As someone that builds a team, when I'm looking for people to join my teams for my projects, I'm always looking for the ones that, you know, they're not going to put the hours down that they're learning something because that's 
that's their responsibility to learn. And most people, and I mean, unless it's an R&D project, obviously, but if they want to better themselves, that is something that, you know, they should be doing in their own time. I don't tell a client like, oh, I'm going to make this for you. It's going to be this much. But I actually don't know how to do it yet when I get in there. And that's not really fair. That's not a really good justification of how much that job is actually worth. If people are willing to put in the effort in their own time to upskill and learn things for themselves without you having to motivate them with money or motivate them with the job or something like that. You can tell that they're actually passionate about what they're doing. You stay pretty motivated because you love this stuff. Um, yeah. What if you're a creative listening to this podcast and you're like, well, that's easy for Caitlin. Caitlin loves the stuff. <laughs> I hate what I'm doing. I can't be motivated. What do they, what do, they do? Mm, that's a hard one. I think is find the thing that you love doing. Like for me, like I said, it's like I like the process and the working out the logic behind things. I don't get quite as excited about the end product as a lot of people do. So I know that my focus is like pulling things apart and how to do things. It may be someone else's thing is like look at something that you like the end product of and go, all right, I want to recreate that, but I want to see if I can do it better. And if that is what makes you motivated to do it then like cool or if um i think a lot of it is like i don't i don't think people should work for free as such but like finding people who are willing to give you projects that you can work on to see if it's even something you like doing because maybe you might find that's not what you like doing like you might go in to learn how to do 3D animation, but you actually find out you really like coding. So then you can move around. Yeah, I think just find the thing that drives you, I guess. Once you find the thing that drives you, I think it'd be a lot easier to answer that question, how to stay motivated. But also, it's like everyone is going to have times of doubt, like self-doubt and feeling unmotivated. So if that's just like a day or two, don't let it get you down. (laughs) go out into nature or something, go do something else you love and then come back to it with a fresh mind. Seeing somebody out there and trying to make a better product than that thing is like a catalyst for your motivation. I can speak to that for sure. Back in 2015 is when I started learning 3D stuff. My catalyst was Beeple. His work on Instagram, uh, his, his, his everydays, I saw his work and I learned that he used this program called Cinema 4D and I was like, you know what I want to do? I want to make something that people would mistake as people's work I want to do it from a year a year from now a year from now I want to use whatever programs people's using make something that someone would think wait is that people's <laughs> and I just spent literally you know weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks on that goal and I learned cinema 40 to the point where I got someone confused one day and I was like success that's so good <laughs> Finding that that thing that drives you. So for me, it was like seeing really excellent motion graphics work by an artist was like my, you know, my silver light. It was just like, whoa, I want to try to go for that. For you, is there anything that you've seen that you try to produce a better version of or something inspired by directly? Um, probably just like seeing that an artist called themselves an artist book putting a 360 camera in the thing I was like no come on let's make some really cool stuff like a camera in there is not good enough let's do a camera with like AR or let's do like the VR headset has an actual like virtual reality experience in it as opposed to a 360 feed when I stopped modeling five years ago 
I made this promise to myself that I was going to unfollow all of my fashion people, except my friends, they're still on my feed, and just follow like people that really inspired me or people that you know made me feel good, that sort of stuff. And I think that has helped me mentally a lot because I see people posting their wins, their losers, like what can be better. And just having people around you that inspire you all the time is such a good motivation in itself. When we added each other on LinkedIn the other day and I noticed that you'd been at DreamWorks for over two years, I was like, oh my God, I remember following you when that happened. Like I was like, yeah, he's good. He deserves it. Like I didn't know you from a bar of soap then, but I was so invested in that. I was like, yes, you know what I mean? (laughs) That's all right. But just having, yeah, like cool people like yourself and other creatives out there that are making cool stuff, just filling up your feeds so that you're just surrounded by it all the time. I'm very hyper curating my feed. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm impatient. If something's going to take my time, I want it to be feeding me, nourishing me, <clears throat> helping me along, not making me depressed, not, yes. you know, making me feel like lame or reduce myself to nothing and, you know, lost and feel like you're missing out. Because that's, that's what I see some people, I feel like they're using social media incorrectly. I feel like there's a right way and a wrong way to use social media. Definitely. hundred percent. We use it to fill it with what they want to be. But I don't know, there's like a toxic nature to some of this stuff where they're like, oh man, I wish I had that life or that, you know, that partner or that relationship or, you know, and it's like unfollow that stuff. That's like a really, really toxic feed that you got going there. Definitely. Exactly. I actually, I'm not going to lie though. I totally, all of my partners that I've had since I've, (laughs) that sounds really bad. The people that I've seen since I started following you, (laughs) they all know you and Keenan because I'm like, yes, they're couple goals. <laughs> but it's because it's because you guys like create cool stuff together. Like I'm like, look at this, look at what they did together. Look how cute this is. You're like it's nice. It's not like you guys aren't out there like on a yacht or something being all like, yes, you're like, look at what we created. And everyone's like, yes, that is fantastic. <laughs> I'm gonna let her know you said that. <laughs> cool. <laughs> you know, I met her through Instagram too. Actually, oh, that's so cute. <laughs> And how I met her, it, it is really cute. I love her so much. It's cute because, like, I was living in Silicon Valley, San Jose at the time, and she was in Los Angeles, and I was looking for a voiceover artist, and she was looking for a motion designer to work with, like, projects. And so we connected through Instagram because we were following similar feeds of, like, looking for animation and voiceover work. And we, we stumbled across each other's work on the interwebs. And then after about two weeks of following each other, she had all this amazing work with like cartoons and like commercials. And then she was liking my animations from back then, which was like a lot of commercially things and, and like motion graphics. And we reached out to each other almost at the exact same time. That's so cool. <laughs> saying, I love your work so much. I don't know what it would take, but I'd love to collaborate with you sometime. And as soon as I sent that, she sent the same thing at the same time, basically. Oh my God. That's so romantic. (laughs) But we stayed as friends and colleagues, professional colleagues for years first. And uh, it wasn't romantic uh, until I moved out here to LA and I was like, wait a second. I think I love this girl. (laughs) No. (laughs) That's so adorable. I love this story so much. Talking about curating your feed, I needed this, I needed voiceover artists, so I I started following the voiceover hashtags VO Life or VO, 
and I started getting a curation of what I was trying to look for. And then I found someone who was hustling hard, doing a ton of good work, had a lot of great portfolio, a little like a really updated portfolio, and was like, you know what, this is someone I want to collaborate with. And, and to your point earlier about you know people working for free, before we did any of our paid projects together, we we kind of just collaborated on our own little fun projects together. You know, I would volunteer some of my animation time. She might volunteer some of her voice time. We would kind of feel out like what's it like working with this person, and then that informed us if they were someone that we could bring on for the paid projects. So exactly, gig. I would know with confidence that you know Keenan delivers her stuff on time. It's good quality, so it gives you lots of variations. So she's who I would hire when I had a bigger gig because it would make sense. She passed. Exactly right. I had personal experience working with her in a professional capacity. And so I've noticed maybe from certain art schools are taught to never do anything (laughs) for free. I've noticed that from some of my art school friends. They're like, oh, no, you should never do your work for free. But it's like sometimes kind of you you do. Yeah. Sometimes it's the collaborations, right? Like and you enjoy doing it anyway. What's the harm in doing it? The worst thing is that you will make something really cool with someone that you want to collaborate with and then potentially get other work. Like you can't really go. I mean, I know that there's people that don't really give back, but like there's so many people out there. If you're doing a collaboration with someone that has respects you just as much as you respect them, you can't really go wrong with making art with cool people. It's just... It's a, it's a no-brainer. It is a fact. fact. You're right. It's, you can't... Wait, say it again. That was a great fact. <laughs> oh, God. Now i got to remember the word oh, said. <laughs> you can't go wrong. Oh, you can't go wrong. You can't... Working. Yeah, you can't go wrong working with someone that mutually respects you back, just making cool stuff together. You just can't. You're going to make cool art, make it with people you enjoy making it with, even if it's free, because keep making cool shit. I don't know. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> I think I got it in there. You can't go wrong making cool stuff with people who mutually respect you. The worst case scenario is you just make some really cool shit together. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And that's like only a good thing. (laughs) It is. Yeah. More people need to make stuff without the motivation of doing something else behind them. I think if you keep if you keep allowing yourself time to do that, being motivated to do the other stuff's quite easy. Maybe maybe that's <laughs> back to my advice on how to keep motivated. <laughs> I'd like to chuck that one in there as well. <laughs> I mean, motivation is a big part of being a futurist with your work because it really is. You know, you're carrying the torch of like what the future can be, and if you're not motivated, then no one's gonna be. Exactly, and it's also being open to getting things wrong and doing a lot of R and D, especially right now we're playing with technology and projects that no one's done before a lot of the time so like making sure that you're aware that you might not get it the first time or the second time or the third time or the fourth time keep trying and keep allowing yourself to get it wrong until you get it right or work out that it's impossible that's fine as well you can say no to things as well give yourself that time to try things i am um, actually i was looking at your work i was unfamiliar with um Ar- arduino arduino work uh, oh, yeah. i struggle to say it as well <laughs> Arduino. Arduino, yeah. <laughs> what is Arduino art? Arduino is a little microcontroller um, that you can program, but it's because it's hardware, you can wire up things to it. Um, so, for example, the uh, chandelier I mentioned earlier, uh, my friend had made this big 
pink fluffy chandelier and she wanted the lights to flicker to a breathing track that she'd recorded, but the breathing track wasn't finalized yet and she wasn't sure if she was going to be doing that or this other sound bite that she'd made. I had to write a program that took in an auxiliary input and then took the frequency of the sound coming from that, remap it between zero and 255, which is uh, the PMW values on the Arduino, and then flicker the lights according to that. The um, is that number 255? Is that how many like luminance values there are? Or um, what- honestly, so this is another thing, right? Like I don't know. <laughs> I just make it happen. I would just make it do its thing. I don't know what that actual value is, but I do know it's the like maximum value that you can put out of one of the pulse width modulators pins so a lot of the pins you can either just turn on and off but these ones you can control how much goes through them how much current how much voltage goes through them so you can control the like the dimness or the lightness of the light is not necessarily just light so you can control how fast like a motor goes or something like that um so yeah like and like i I, I'm, i'm kind of new to this so are you using like soldering irons to physically attach wires to certain motors or um i am i'm really terrible at it i I taught myself from youtube but i'm learning Uh, (laughs) like everything um yeah soldering irons it's really cool that is really cool oh my god (laughs) (laughs) it's one of my um I've just moved back to Western Australia from Sydney, but in Sydney, me and one of my friends were making a cocktail machine where you order your cocktail on your phone and then it sends it over Wi-Fi to the Arduino and then the Arduino like turns on the pumps that are connected to the correct bottles and makes you a cocktail. <laughs> That's awesome. Are you- That's so amazing. good. Yeah, oh it's the best. That's so cool, because then that kind of takes it to a whole other level, because then you're using, like, a smartphone. So you're using, like, Wi-Fi technologies. We're talking about display technologies, um, interface design, robotics at that point. Yep, to make a exactly. Out. Yep, <laughs> exactly. That's, like, I mean, that's a story right there. I mean, if you want to get some people motivated <laughs> to start yeah. using robotics, they... Have you ever wanted to have a margarita machine that you just... Exactly. Yeah. And it makes a margarita for you. More people would take it up, wouldn't they? All right. I'm going to make sure everyone knows more about that. (laughs) Have you heard of um, Five Senses Theory? No. What's that one? I think you'll love it because you do a lot of experience design and uh, it has to... It's a really cool tip to make any experience more engaging and it's so easy to implement. The chandelier that you described, I think I saw a video of it on your portfolio. It's a pink fluffy chandelier with lights in it correct yep <laughs> and also an audio component to it yeah so your that piece by the way covers so many of the five senses theory and so what it is is the five senses theory is a theory that you can make any experience more engaging if you involve more and more of the five human senses with it, with any experience that you design and, that's cool and you can use the five senses theory as a metric to see what is your event lacking so i used to use it because i used to be a residential assistant uh, in college so i would oversee like student housing and I had a bunch of residents and uh, in san francisco state and so we had to put on monthly activities for the whole floor to kind of socialize or learn or entertain movie nights you know little 
events had to be done every month to have like a, a community. And so I would always make an, a, you know, an idea for an event, an immersive experience. Maybe we're going to watch a movie, have some pizza. And then I'd pull up my little five senses and say, okay, how is this experience engaging smell? And I'm like, oh, it doesn't engage smell. <laughs> I would then make pizza. All of a sudden, <laughs> That's so like cool. Pizza. I'm like, okay, that already made the experience more, you know, I'm covering smell. Then I think, what did we touch? There's no, there's no, um, there's no feeling. Like there's no, we're not touching anything. There's no hands-on component. Then I would literally add like a ball in the room or put like balloons that people are going to grab. And I know they're going to grab them because people just do that when there's a balloons in room. Totally. Yeah. And then you go to the next sense. You're like, okay, how is it going to stimulate them visually? That one's easier for me. That one I don't have to think about too much. (laughs) (laughs) Then you go into the next one. How does it, you know, audio. And as you start to include all these different senses, your brain when you're experiencing it is going to record so much more data about that experience yeah it's actually that's it. all those senses into that same experience it's really cool that you say that because um a lot of the time when i'm talking about augmented reality for to people in regards to training it's why it's such a good medium for training because your brain is like what the hell is going on so it's actually taking in every single thing it sees like i can't remember the exact figure i've read it somewhere but it's like 60 percent more than normal because your brain's trying to work it out so it's taking it all in and then retention you can retain it better because your brain's actually paid attention to it See, those are, i mean that's exactly part of the reason why i love ar is, is that you know it's it's just genuinely you, you said it earlier the retention it's a uh, more engaging and someone has to hold something has to think about it has to see it in front of them totally but yeah it's also i think oh yeah sorry you go i was just gonna say on that as well that like our we're fed so much information like so much more than people 30 years ago because there's so much information available that we're filling ourselves with so much information as well and creating experiences where it yeah, it does stimulate the five senses or just create some sort of like what the hell's going on in your brain and some sort of excitement is that's what's going to make you stand out. Yeah, it totally works that way. I mean, the, uh, the, um, I learned about the five senses theory from a TED talk and uh, it's a really funny TED talk. Definitely, I forget the name of it, but if you type <laughs> five senses theory, that would find it for sure. Um, he goes into a lot more depth with it on how he makes his um, inventions more engaging for people just by trying to include more senses into that experience. Um, yeah, cool. He, he, made a, he made a clock that you can smell the time. <laughs> what? Oh, God, I got to look this up. That sounds so cool. <laughs> that, that's like the hook, right? How do you smell time? What does that even mean? Yeah. He, he made a tool. He made it. It's like he invented a way that he can have a certain scent get released. He did it with magnifying glasses that were all tilted at certain angles that would be perfect so that every hour a different magnifying glass would have its focal length matched. And he had the magnifying glass aimed at a stack of different scented incenses. That's so cool. So then when it smells like lavender, that's noon. That's like, so cool. Yeah. So like, oh. like, you know, what a, what a, what a different way of thinking about time. If you could just like, you know, smell more, it. Yeah. You smell the time because it, you know, that thing's aligned with the sun and you know, it's going to go off at that certain time. It's a fun thing to do. Cause I was thinking if your chandelier covered that, someone would probably want to touch the chandelier cause it's fluffy and pink yeah. and it looks cool. So they're touching it. Then they, 
they can actually feel it, you know, and then they, then they see all the lights. So you got the visual cortex being stimulated. Then, then you have the audio, the breathing, you got the auditorial co um, context. Maybe the taste could be if there was drinks or beverages or food offered at the event that would cover. Oh, that'd taste. be cool. And then yeah. for the last one would be smell. Um, maybe you could, you know, if you added some scents into the, like cotton candy. I don't know. If you just threw cotton candy in there. Sick. Then someone might actually try to eat it, though. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> maybe, yeah, totally. Scratch the last one. Be careful with the smell. <laughs> I'm definitely going to tell um, Jess, the artist that designed it, that she should incorporate a couple of the next, uh, those things the next time we put it up. <laughs> yeah, the, um, it was cool because like, the guy's speech, he ended off on a, a, couple, a couple other beats. He said he was looking at not only engaging your senses, but, he, um, but making each of his experiences engage different levels of emotion. So he also found that some found some data that if you can make an experience that stimulates like humor, fear, anger, joy, excitement, laughter, you remember the whole thing better too because your brain again records information about that. So like yeah, going to a physical movie theater is very very stimulating in those senses. There's all this visual stuff and sound. There's tastes that are associated with it. Smell of the, popcorn. That smell of popcorn, and then you got all the other emotions bits they take you through a, a you know a roller coaster of emotions um, in a lot of feature films and so I think people will retain it better definitely so essentially make training scary loving <laughs> angry happy <laughs> trained they'll be so trained they'll be so all over it by the end <laughs> <laughs> just keep doing jump scares every five minutes yeah you're like are you paying attention <laughs> Where can listeners connect with you online? Instagram, my handle's Caitlin Lomax, C-A-I-T-L-I-N-L-O-M-A-X, or on LinkedIn. Yeah, they're the two I'm probably most active on. My Facebook is there as well, but I'm really bad at like replying to friend requests and messages on Facebook. Definitely Instagram and LinkedIn if you want to get in contact. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to make like my slogan um, for the end of the, the podcast. I'm still working on it. So um, <laughs> how do you define reality? Is that too big of a question to end? <laughs> I kind of like it. I think reality is literally just whatever you want to make it. If you want to make it completely virtual and put a headset on, that is your reality at the time. If you want to not do that and just live in nature that's your reality and that's totally fine as well that was dope oh my god <laughs> <laughs> of reality. thank you so much thank you so much for having me on here thank you for listening to this week's episode of rethink reality we really enjoyed talking to caitlin lomax about xr producing and experience design i'm always so thrilled to meet successful women in tech because they have to work so much harder to get to where they're at than their male counterparts so it's just really refreshing to recap we talked about gamification and how it relates to retention of the user we then talked about the importance of staying consistent with your creations um, how to keep making cool stuff and later, we talk about Unity versus Unreal Engine and which one creative should be getting focused into to stay future-proof. And finally, we talk about motivation and direction, how to stay focused on your goals. So thank you, creatives, for listening. If you have any more questions or want to get in touch, the best spot to reach me is on Instagram at DonAllenIII. Remember to never stop learning and always have a creative and productive day. Thanks. <laughs>